just a little bit of review as I feel like the Lord has led this morning. Um, you know, last week we continued our journey in to the book of 2 Peter, and we preached out of chapter 1. Now, our study of Peter's epistles did not start with the epistles, but rather first started with the life of Peter himself through the record of the Gospels and the book of Acts. We decided first to, to get to know Peter himself before we begin to open up his epistles to understand fully what he was expressing in his two short epistles. The study of Peter began with his brother Andrew coming and telling him how he found the Messiah. In John chapter 1, verse 40, it says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. If you think about it, Jesus stated who Peter was in the present. He stated his past, who his father was. And he stated his future, giving him a nickname that would prophesy his future. The first doctrine that Peter was taught was that of foreknowledge, election, and predestination. God knew us before we were born. Foreknowledge. We were born to fulfill a purpose only we can fulfill. That's predestination. We're predestined for that. And he already knew who would believe on his son unto salvation. Like Brother Mike was saying, these things are hard to comprehend because he's, he's God. First Peter 1 Peter 1.1, he opens up his epistles. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. What we as mankind are working through in the present and the decisions and resulting consequences are seen by God as watching a rerun. As a preacher once said, did it ever occur to you that nothing has occurred to God. We would do good to come to this same conclusion that we as Christians live in the realm of time and mortality. But well, we're going to put that off one day, folks. But right now we are greatly limited. But God is not limited by time or mortality. As David said in his psalm, in Psalm 139, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Peter's first meeting with Jesus gave him a nickname, Cephas, a stone. Peter's last meeting with Jesus before his ascension was this. This was after a fishing excursion. 
So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Then he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou was young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, or, that's what he had said. Peter, seeing him, said to, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. The last words from Jesus to Peter was in regards to his death. Last week in 2 Peter chapter 1, we see where his epistles were written near the time of his death, in which he remembered Jesus' last words. 2 Peter 1.12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth, yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Last week in chapter 1 of Second Peter, he wrote to us with his death in mind. Before we move to chapter 2, I want to draw out the picture that P Peter painted with words in chapter 1. If you remember, there's common themes in Peter. The greatest theme, I'm going to tell you, if you count them up, is he makes a distinguishing marks of who the old man is and who the new man is. But the greatest subject that Peter deals with is suffering. Excuse my spelling if I spell wrong. <laughs> so the old man or the new man you're born once, we're all born once of the flesh, and we're born in the old man. We can choose to stay in that way, or we can choose salvation through Jesus Christ and become born again. And he's pretty much telling us, as in this case, we can default and become just like the old man and live that way. 
or he says through diligence to make your calling and election sure. He tells us that's what we need to be doing. But if we default, we have the old man, which is of the world, the lust, flesh, and let me put in here religion. So you can have a superficial life of God in a, in a religion. There's, it's happening all the time today. And what that leads to is a fall. And then what comes out of that, fears, doubts, blindness. Let me tell you something, folks. If you go down this trail and you default, you do not be diligent to make your calling and election sure. This is where you're headed. And let me tell you something. There's something here that I find about people down in this area who have fallen. They're blind. They can't even see where they're at. They don't even realize. They think a lot of things. But you are blind. And you forget... your salvation. He says, rather though, make your, says, live by your faith. And he says to add to your faith virtue. And he says, add knowledge. And the knowledge, temperance. And then patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. And then you're to multiply that because you're supposed to be, these things are not only to be in you, but to abound in you. And he says, you will not be fruitless, but you will have fruit and you will have purpose. And he says, he says, you're going to have an abundant entrance Before God and the Son, he says you'll never fall. He uses the word never fall. And it'll be through the fellowship of sufferings. And that he's talking about. That's pretty much in a picture what he's talking about. And just to give you some, some thoughts, you know, the people who were like this, I thought of Enoch. He was just translated. Elijah picked up on a chariot of fire. And then I like to read about Stephen, who was full of the Holy Ghost, because this is what he represented. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand 
of God. He's saying you're going to be ministered abundantly in the Christian life when you're diligent, making your calling election sure, living by faith, adding all these things to it. And it'll become clearer and clearer. And you will look forward <laughs> to being there one day. But I'm telling you what, we're seeing a lot of people who have defaulted to this, defaulted to this, and something comes along like a... Uh, uh, like COVID, fears, doubts, blindness, concern, worry. <laughs> but when you live in here, yeah, we take note of things. We ask God of things. But hey, I've got an abundant entrance. Come to me. I'm going to preach one day, I think, about all the things that we think are bad <laughs> that are really good. Death is one of them to the, to the saved person. There's a lot of things that God made that you think are bad, but that are good. So that's chapter 1. Chapter 1 of 2 Peter ends with the validation of his message. His accreditation as an apostle and eyewitness at the Mount of Transfiguration. And also, he says, by a sure word of prophecy, the Holy Scriptures. He's a credit. You can trust him. Peter stated that we did not follow cunningly devised fables. Who was the we? He was not specific specifically saying who that was, but he mentions that they were eyewitnesses of the majesty of Jesus Christ. This is the aspect of an apostle. What the prophets were of the Old Testament is what the apostles were to the New Testament. Let me re-say that in case I said it wrong. What the prophets were of the Old Testament is what the apostles were to the New Testament. Chapter 2 of 2 Peter begins with this comparison in mind that the days of the prophets, there were false prophets. So in the days of the apostles, there will be false teachers. Let's pray. Father, as we study this second chapter in 2 Peter, well, God, there's a theme here. It kind of ties in some ways to chapter 1. And may... May you show us what we need to be shown in the scriptures. May we learn today, and may we also be moved by your spirit. And may we desire to know you, to know your word, to know you personally better. And so, Father, I just pray that if there's one here that isn't saved, that speaks about false, falsity and false professions as well. So, Father, I just pray you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. 
And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Let me just tell you something. There is one word of God. And there is one Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. This is the sole entities that identify the true church that brings unity to Christianity. Jesus said, John 10, 27 through 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now Paul says something very interesting. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. he says, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. He says this, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. It would seem that though false teaching may seem to be a threat to the church, it also seems to be a purifier of it. It will purge false followers, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. False followers follow false teachers. Ephesians 3.21 concerning the church, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. 1 Timothy 3.15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Heresies may be troublesome to the church, but they do not threaten the existence of it. Verse 3 in our text, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into, into ashes, condemned them with an overflow, making them an example unto those that should live ungodly. It says through covetousness, these false teachers. Covetousness is an appetite. Things are the products of what people have. Covetousness is the appetite to have what others have. Everything they can get. It's the gathering of more shiny things. It is the opposite of contentment. Heretics, false teachers are in it to get something from you. It is their living. 
Heretics are said to use here in, the, in our text using feigned words. What does feigned mean? It comes from the Greek word plastos, which we get from the Greek word of plastic. It's a, one of those forms of Greek words where we get the word plastic from. It means molded, artificial or figuratively, fictitious, feigned. What does it mean when false teachers use feigned words? It means that these church leaders mold their words to their audience. It's the art of politics. The greater the crowd, the larger the paycheck. It's a, it's a heart matter. It is well known that if you tell the people what they want to hear, you will have a great audience. A lot of people want God to be what they want God to be so they can live the way they want, but it's just not true. But in 2 Timothy 4.3 it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. It's also a fact that if you preach the truth of Jesus Christ, it will divide people. If you remember when Tim Reader was teaching through the book of John, when Jesus spoke, it always seemed to create division. Jesus' presence never left a comfortable middle ground of belief. As a matter of fact, the Lord speaking to the church of Laodicea warned that the church needed to get out of that middle ground, to get off the fence, to stop being lukewarm, he was okay with them being hot or cold on either side. That's workable, but lukewarmness is comfortable and promotes nothing but to stay under the covers and sleep quietly. It's not acceptable to God. It's frustrating to see what we are thinking people are getting away with under the guise of Christian ministry. It's frustrating to see them heaping pleasures to themselves at the expense of ignorant mankind. But Peter reminds us that their time is coming. Peter, remember, Peter's always saying, look down the road. Keep your eyes down the road. Remember, he was the one who kept his eyes on Jesus when he walked on the water until he looked down at his circumstances and began to fall. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Peter cites the judgment of the fallen angels that is reserved, the destruction of the world suddenly by the flood, and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man, you hear that, that righteous man, Dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. This is an amazing statement here. If you study Lot's life, you see a saved man living the life of the world, the old man. He moved his family into Sodom and lived life in the lust and filth of the world. He is the epitome of the Christian pictured in my drawing right here. 
he decided to do this, and he fell, and it just got worse and worse. What was the rewards of Lot's sinful behavior? A lost testimony and loss of his son-in-laws. The loss of his wife who turned into a pillar of salt. Loss of courage and fear of people and hiding. And then incestuous relations with his daughters that produced children that would be the father of the wicked nations of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Verses 10 through 14, but chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise governments, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to, to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots are, they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you, <laughs> having eyes full of adultery, and cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart that have exercised with covetous practices, Cursed children. Boy, we can see that today, can't we? There's an extremely evil religious world out there. The examples of destruction that Peter gave reference to generations whose thoughts were only continually evil, destroyed by a flood. Angels who rebelled knowing the majesty and goodness of God. Hell made for them. Sodom and Gomorrah, the seat of immorality, burned to ashes by fire and brimstone. We have the same crowds today. They are evil, and if angels dare not bring railing accusation against them, who are we to attack them? We're flippant sometimes, talking about Satan and his devils. and We need to be careful. We just need to turn this group over to the Lord and stay away from it. We need to be extremely careful of the evil enticements of the wicked. Verses 15 and 16 of our text, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass speaking with the man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Balaam is mentioned three times in the book of the New Testament. And each mention bears a unique aspect. The book of Revelation is the doctrine of Balaam. In the book of Jude, it is the error of Balaam. In the book of 2 Peter, it is the way of Balaam. The way of Balaam in 2 Peter is the way of covetousness, which is the root of all evil. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, 1 Timothy 6.10. Verses 17, 18, and 19 of our text. He says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried, carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, 
those that were clean escaped from, the, from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. Now let me repeat that. That is a wonderful <laughs> saying there. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought into bondage. Peter and Paul and others would give the reference of being a slave or bond to the Lord Jesus Christ because they're overcome of him. We do not want to be overcome by the world and the things that we need to be overcome by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who we will be in bondage to. It says in these verses, these people are useless. What is a well if you can't get water out of it? They are out of control. <laughs> Clouds blown around by strong winds. Sounds like a tornado to me. They have an eternal damnation, the mist of darkness reserved for them. It says in verse 20 and 21, for, if they, for after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again tangled therein and overcome. The latter is worse with them than the beginning. <laughs> it's bad to be an unsaved person. But to be an unsaved person and then trying to replicate salvation in yourself and to preach and to teach heresies. He's saying, they'd have been better if they didn't go in that than when they go back. And you will find that those people, when they fall, they fall hard when they go back. These apostates and evil people may have, they've seen the opportunity to see the goodness of God and the fruits of righteousness. It's right in front of them. They knew what the way of the Lord is, yet they had rejected it in their heart. This rejected knowledge will make their life worse than before they had the knowledge of Christ. As they will turn back to what they are, what they truly are, unregenerated sinful man. The mark of someone who is saved is they will return back. Look at what they go back to. Just wait. A truly saved person will come back, will come back and grab onto the Lord. Those who don't just continue down the path. Verse 22, the last verse. But it happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. How many here have seen a dog return to his vomit? But it's true. An unsaved person will return to his filthy living. Our righteousness, as good as, it's, as humans can make it, is his filthy rags to God. Here also we see the message of the prodigal pig. It is the inverse of the prodigal son. 
You see, you cannot sustain false Christianity if it's not in you. You can't manufacture it. You can for a little while. You may add a religious aspect of your life, you know, kind of put it in its place and do what you want to do. You may maintain a certain level of morality that looks good to people, but you will find yourself ultimately in your own control. You will live for self, ultimately. In my studies, I ran across the poem about the prodigal pig and the prodigal son. Evelyn C. Sanders penned this poem. It says, come home with me, said the prodigal son. We will sing and dance and have lots of fun. We will wine and dine with women in song. You'll forget you are a pig before very long. So the pig slipped out while the mama was asleep, shook off the mud from the mire so deep. Around his neck was a bow so big. He's going to show the world a pig's not a pig. With his snout in the air, he trotted along with the prodigal son who was singing a song. It must be great to be a rich man's son. He would surely find out before the day was done. It didn't take long for him to realize his mistake. He scrubbed and rubbed till all his muscles did ache. He squeaked when they put a gold ring in his nose and whined with pain when they trimmed his toes. He sat at a table with a stool so high, a bib around his neck and a fork to try. While the prodigal son in his lovely robe kept feeding his face, so glad to be home. When the meat came around, the pig gave a moan. It looked too much like the kind of his own. He jumped from the chair with a grunt and a groan, darted to the door and headed for home. This little piggy went all the way home. His four little feet made the dust ride high, for he didn't stop till he reached the sty. It's what's on the inside that counts, my friend, for a pig is a pig to the very end. The prodigal son may found himself trying to be a pig. But a true son, he will come back. He will return. Luke 15, 13, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before You need to figure out where you're at today. 1 Peter 2.25 says, For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. You weren't born that way. You were born again for Jesus to become the shepherd and bishop of your soul. With heads bowed and eyes closed, pianists come into play.
Let me ask you a few questions. Are you a son? Are you truly born again, a child of God? Have you took your entire life and just buried it and gave it all to Jesus Christ? Or are you pretending to be a Christian, finding it hard to enjoy the Christian life? Or perhaps if a child of God living for the pig pen of this world, finding it hard being tossed to and fro and used by this world. Maybe not completely in the pig pen yet, but more importantly, where are you headed right now? Perhaps your heart and mind is being lured into the lust of the flesh, the desires of of those things, perhaps immorality or the love of things or prestige and pride trying to make yourself something great. Or perhaps you are sitting on the fence. <laughs> That's a bad place to be, warm and unmoving, inert to the world around you. Peter says, if you are not abounding in the things of God, you are headed in the wrong direction. And may I say it's a direction of blindness. It'll be harder and harder to see. Where are you today in this? Is an abundant entrance being ministered unto you, the love of God and you go through suffering for doing right and God's just using that and you're just seeing God do mighty things that's where we're to be going to church praying reading your studying your Bible witnessing to others I'm telling you that's the life folks that's the abundant life if you're a Christian, that's the only place you're going to find it. There is nowhere else. Peter says, don't look down at the circumstances of life. Look up to where you're going, what's, what's ahead. God's promises are true, folks. Amen. Thank you for your attention this morning. I pray the Lord spoke to your heart. Holy Spirit move in your life and cause you to get going in the right direction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness. Lord God. I pray you help each family here, each person here to get on the right track to you, to live that abundant, victorious Christian life that's full of suffering, <laughs> but it's good because you get closer to Jesus that way. Help us not to avoid it. Help us not to go cheap and try to get the cheap worldly things. Let us seek after you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. 
I ask it in Jesus' name.